This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. Derek, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. I can't complain. Halfway through the week, just about. (laughs) Yeah, almost. Birthday tomorrow. So tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 32 years old. Wow. You're sharing your age for everybody. An old man. I can't believe I just told everybody that on this podcast. May 12th. That's a big week then, huh? It is a big week. week. Birthday week, your wedding week, and uh, it's also, we'll lead off with this, Derek. It kind of seems like that John Calipari. week. Yeah, it is a big news week. Kind of seems like John Calipari here might have an idea of what his backcourt's going to look like next season, Derek. We already know that Ty Ty Washington is going to announce his decision on Saturday, May 15th. Uh, All signs point towards Kentucky for that one. The buzz has been Kentucky for about a week or so now. But Mm -hmm. Savir Wheeler from Georgia, Derek, is a guy that we've talked about on this podcast, but I will admit that I don't think I ever really truly considered that Wheeler could end up at Kentucky. So Saturday I'm standing at the Iverson Classic talking to someone, uh, someone who doesn't cover Kansas or some programs, but had heard from a source that Kansas was kind of the front runner. For Wheeler, and if you look on Twitter, social media, that kind of had been the buzz ever since he cut his top or his schools to four with Kansas, Kentucky, Oklahoma State, and LSU. But then yesterday, I was talking to someone, and it certainly sounds like Kentucky is a major player for Wheeler and in a better spot than what a lot of people possibly assumed. And now, Derek, I'm kind of looking at this thing that Kentucky's backcourt could end up being Xavier Wheeler and Tata Washington. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. It seems like that's how it's how it's trending right now. Uh, certainly, Ty Ty has been, I think you could say, probably in the fold now for uh, what a week. Yeah, probably a week by the time that he actually announces, if not more. But the thing about Wheeler that really had me curious, and, and why I kind of agree with you. Uh, well, there's a few reasons why I agree with you, but one of the obvious ones is that out of all these kids that they had seemingly reached out to Wheeler is one of the guys who every time he's cut his list or done whatever Kentucky has still been there whereas with other kids uh uh I think Harmon from Oklahoma similar situation went into the portal said UK reached out and then next time you heard from him you know UK hadn't been involved and that was the case for a few other guys as well some of these other guards who have gone out there um so that could be something as simple as Anytime a kid went into the portal and UK just tried to gather information, it could have been a kid saying, hey, UK's, you know, interested, reached out. And 
that that might have been what was going on there. But I think obviously Wheeler has been actively recruited by Jay Lucas, another Houston guy. And uh you know, I think there's a lot to like about him and there's obviously some some big question marks too, don't get me wrong, no question about that. You're talking about a guy though who has two years starting experience in the SEC. So you don't worry at all about um a adjustment type because like like you might even with a guy like Kellen Grady who's going to be going up a level. Uh, you don't have to worry about that with Wheeler. Um, really good assist numbers. Been the point man on his team for two years in the league. Uh, not great talent around him this past year. That first year, of course, Anthony Edwards was by far the focal of that whole team, focal point of that whole team. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think – Sean, tell me what you think. I think some people will be a little curious because – Maybe there's nothing about Wheeler's numbers or things like that that you would look at him and think, hey, Kentucky has to snag this guy right now. Like, how much better is he really than some of these other options that they could have pursued? So kind of what is your logic behind why maybe they've zeroed out on him being the guy? And and I will admit that I've said on multiple shows in the last two weeks that at first I wasn't a fan of Xavier Wheeler landing at Kentucky just given – the fact that I got so caught up, Derek, that I think the way all of us did, that John Calipari had to go shooter, 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 that everyone had to be able to shoot the basketball that joins this roster. But once I got kind of word of that last night, I started watching film. I watched a lot of tape on him last night. I watched some before we started recording today. And the thing that I like about him is he makes things easier on everyone else on his roster. That's the one line that I kept going back to last season with this Kentucky team, that their guards could not make other players on the roster better. But Wheeler averages 7.4 assists per game, did that at Georgia, led the SEC. You know he's going to be playing with better players at Kentucky, which, too, turnover numbers, I know people told me, uh, or coming at me like, well, he he averaged four turnovers per game this past season. You know, that is a high number, but here's the thing, Derek. John Calipari's not going to go get someone that he doesn't think could come in and take care of the basketball. If John Calipari thought that was a real problem, I don't think they would have even targeted Xavier Wheeler. I think that maybe Cal and the U.K. staff see something on film that they believe that they those turnover numbers could go down. Uh, maybe it's just being with better players. Maybe it's being with players that can space the floor better. Uh, this, if he ends up at Kentucky, it's because of the pieces Kentucky has around him. If this had been a lineup like last year that shot brick after brick after brick, this would be a horrible, horrible get because that's, that's not what you'd want to put with it. But you can't have all shooters here. Like you can't, like who's going to throw, who's going to, you don't want CJ Frederick setting the table for Kellen Grady and other players like CJ Frederick. Go get a guard who can get in the lane make life easier on other on everyone else, and can get his own when he needs to, but also kind of makes this thing click and flow. And I think it makes sense. And it makes even more sense to me if indeed Ty Ty Washington is the other guard in the backcourt. I don't know if you remember last week I was talking, and I said whoever Kentucky gets at point guard from the portal, they're going to have to play off the ball because of Ty Ty Washington. That changed my mind Saturday, Derek, when I actually got to watch Ty Ty Washington, and I think he's just as good, if not better, off the ball than he is with the ball in his hands, which then started changing how I looked at Kentucky filling out this point guard spot, and Sabir Wheeler fits the way that I was looking at it. Yeah, it gives you options, right? It Every does. guy like Ty Ty who can play on the ball 
and can also step away and, and has enough intangibles off the ball to, to perform well there um, as well. And one other note, I guess, how, how do you see Mintz fitting in if he did decide that the pro route was not for him? Does this change at all, taking Wheeler? Well, you and, I, you and I were talking about that point. I mean, that's a lot of guys that you – It is. And and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, that if it's Wheeler and Tata, who starts? Do they both start together? I, You and I both can't see Tata Washington choosing Kentucky over the likes of LSU and Arizona, other places, and then coming to Kentucky and coming off the bench. Same thing for Wheeler. I can't see Wheeler coming to Kentucky where – and coming off the bench where he started and was an all-SEC guy at Georgia. So I could kind of see them being one-two with the Kellen Grady at the three, which then moves Frederick to that off-the-bench role, six-man role that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago or when all the buzz was around him and then when he finally transferred. And I said, I really like Kentucky's roster if you get to the point that C.J. Frederick or someone is a option off the bench. Mm-hmm. I could kind of see that happening now, and if Davion Mintz comes back, I think he could be right there six, seven, and being in that backcourt. I think it would work if Kentucky does indeed commit to playing three perimeter players, three guards. That's the only way. Now, if Cal's going to go two guards and then force Jacob Toppin, Keon Brooks, or someone into that three spot, then there is no room for Davion Mintz. That's how I was kind of viewing it as well. Um, if they did stick with this five guard lineup. Or well, you know, five guards on the roster, not the lineup. Just, just if you had Wheeler, Washington, and then Grady, Frederick, and Allen, I think that's enough. Especially if it's like after seeing him play in person, how, how would Bryce Hawkins fit in at the three if they were just trying to get him some minutes? Is he a fit there? He, he fits there, and, and that was the take. That was another takeaway from the weekend to me. Is I went in there wondering, is he a three? Is he a four? He can play both, but honestly, the way he leads the break. He can he can buy some minutes there at the three. I, I want to see whether or not he could shoot it consistently. I didn't get to see that this weekend, but the the word is that he's a decent three level scorer. But uh, yeah. well, I don't I know. Don't think There's that. a log jam there, obviously, at his position and stuff. That with him and Toppin, and if Keon does come back, somebody there's got to be some flexibility somewhere, or somebody just has to kind of sit, and it, it would probably, I mean, would it be Hopkins that would just be like, you know, I'm going to play minutes when I can, but I see the bigger picture and minutes here maybe as a sophomore. You caught me mid-yon, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, well, that's what I was thinking is, like, to me, dude, if you have six, I almost think six is too many in the backcourt. I mean, I think five's a good, a good number. Um on the flip side, you could argue that last year showed you that there are no such thing as, you know, having too many quality options. I mean, last year they were uh, so limited on what they could do. And uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, and, I think Mintz would still fit. Thing? I just let's, – let's say Severe uh, – Savir. I'm going to call him Severe. but it, I've it said Severe 50 million times, and I finally was like, it's not Severe. It's Savir. Right. It's <laughs> Savir. And uh, if you guys are wondering, for confirmation, his Georgia bio in the media guide said, think of a doctor asking you to open wide and say, ah, for his name. So <laughs> Savir Wheeler is uh, what we're going with there. 
Um, but if, if it is Wheeler and Washington who commit, and let's say they do that relatively soon, obviously we know Washington is committing on Saturday. Um, and let's say Wheeler commits sometime around then. I don't know if he has something scheduled or not. Is that it, though, Sean? Do they just depend on whatever Mintz does? I think so. I think that you lock up your backcourt. So you're saying no, Jaden Hardy. Pipe dream, forget about it. I think it's a pop dream until it happens. Like I, my advice to Kentucky fans would be like, sit there and be excited about maybe getting surprised, but do not get to the yeah. point that you actually convince yourself that it's happening because we've had too much G League buzz for way too long, Derek, to get to let yourself get your heart out there and then just get it ripped out of your chest. That would be my advice to Kentucky. Now, if Jaden Hardy comes to Kentucky and they go Savir Wheeler, Jaden Hardy, and Ty Ty Washington, okay, something like Swaggy Cow, Swaggy UK, Cool UK, everything's back because it would honestly happen, in my opinion, within 24 to 48 hours of one another. So this is actually one of the last talking points I had on basketball today that I wanted to run by you because I was on our Cat's Paws message board talking with some posters and uh, – they were basically discussing kind of how they saw this team. If it was, if the backcourt was those five that we'd mentioned earlier, plus all the returning guys in the front court that we know about with Keon being included in there. Um, so are you on the same page with me there, Sean, as far as, far as what I'm about to ask you with the roster? Yes. Uh, okay. If that is the case, one of the things that I, I said to this poster, and I think it's a real thing, I want to get your opinion on it, is. To me, that strikes as a roster with a lot of good pieces, a lot of experience, a lot of guys have been very solid. Yes. Does it lack star power? Yep. And if so, how does that kind of view? How does that change how you view them next year? Well, we've had plenty of UK rosters where we thought they had star power, and then it turned out like this past season, we assumed there was there was star power on the roster, but they didn't have it. But you know what else that roster didn't have? It didn't have star power and didn't have pieces that fit together. Yeah. This this roster that you just mentioned and that we're talking about, it doesn't have a star. Like I don't see, you know, a first round like top ten NBA draft pick and like immediately. I mean, obviously Damian Collins has a ton of buzz that he could project to be a first round pick or a lottery pick if he improves and develops and gets a stronger body. But the difference to me, Derek, is the the way that these pieces contribute. You don't have dead spots on the floor offensively. You got shooters. You got uh, solid post play. You got a, a Keon Brooks if he decides to come back who plays a face up game. Uh, I just think that the roster itself is constructed differently, and that's why I don't think that Xavier Wheeler is the best point guard out there. If you're talking overall talent, athleticism, and all those things, but for what Kentucky needs, his piece of the puzzle fits better than somebody else's puzzle piece. So like a, a Marcus Carr or let's say they go they go get someone else. I don't know, like maybe that piece is too big. Maybe it doesn't fit in alongside the shooters that Kentucky has in Frederick and Grady and Dante Allen and all the other pieces on this roster. And the one thing, too, that I'm taking away from this, Derek, is maybe John Calipari is changing. When he talked on his final radio show and he was talking about going the game's transition to more skill set than it is length and athleticism, we know for most of Cal's time at Kentucky, it's been about getting the best of the best. As far as fit, they went with guys that fit their program as far as being able to come to Kentucky, handle the expectations of Kentucky. I don't think it ever was really prioritized 
fit inside of the style of play at Kentucky. But this seems to be that Cal has known, okay, this is what I want here. So I've got shooter, shooter. We have Dante coming back. Uh, we've we've addressed the situation with a physical big. You have a freshman class coming in, and now it's about getting a point guard that can set the table. And I just think that that's the biggest difference. And that's why I would say that even though I and you're right, I get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I don't see a clear-cut just stud on this team, but I see guys who have done it at a high level at different places that come together, and I could kind of see this thing working out. And Kentucky being a very quality basketball team, I'm not ready to say Final Four good, but they're certainly better than what they were. And I think a team that together, when I see the final piece of the puzzle, it could be a team that Kentucky fans could get excited about. Definitely a change in style for what Cal does with a roster. This is entirely different than any other U.K. roster that we have seen in John Calipari era. It's not even close. Oh, yeah, yeah. No question about that. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Well, Sean, other thing that happened today, we spent a lot of time with it yesterday's on yesterday's episode. It is official, very quick moving. Oh, well, I shouldn't say it's official. It's reported, uh, but basically official, that Steve Klingscale, uh, Kentucky's defensive backs coach who had been here for five seasons, will be accepting a spot on Michigan staff to work under Jim Harbaugh. So it's a big loss, Sean. I wrote about that today yeah. um, on, on thecatspaws.com. And uh, once you go back and pull the numbers, my tweet was somewhat incorrect. Just a slight note that most people probably didn't pick up on. I tweeted that Klingscale has been responsible for eight four-star signees since he's been at Kentucky. That's not totally true because one of those guys is Keaton Wade, who is a commitment. So seven signees and one commitment, uh, just to clarify. Um, but the point still stands. Uh, Keaton Wade is the second highest kid he's gotten to UK behind Justin Rogers, who until Keontae Goodwin committed last month was the highest rated, or sorry, the third highest rated prospect to sign with Kentucky. So, a couple things. Um, one, I want to say I thought it was a great hire by Michigan, honestly, uh, to, to have lost a, a guy they had just recently hired to. Buffalo to be a head coach and then to be able to come out, what, three days later? Didn't that happen on Saturday? So 
by Tuesday, they get things going to fold. It's a good hire. Another thing I want to say, too, and I'm not talked to anyone who um, said anything did or didn't happen in terms of money with trying to keep Plink. I would I would say Kentucky was willing to go up to a certain number, you know, to, to keep them there. I just think from Plink scale's point of view, the more I've thought about it, that he was maybe maxed out on what he was going to be able to do at Kentucky. And I say that because the writing on the wall, like we talked about yesterday, it's probably John Summerall at D.C. whenever the time comes that Brad White will move on to either a bigger defensive coordinator job or possibly even a head coach. I think when you see him coach and you hear him talk, I think he's got future head coach written all over him. Will that happen after this year? I'm not sure. But I, I think, you know, this will be his third year as a D.C. with his background and just how bright of a guy he is. I, I just don't know that you can really expect him to be, a, be around much longer. So perhaps Summerall's waiting around for that. And if you're clink scale, then, all right, you're making half a million dollars to to coach DBs and recruit. That's a pretty sweet gig. I, mean, I think most of us would like something like that. But professionally, how are you helping yourself move up the ladder if your goal is to be a DC or a head coach one day? Yep. So yep. I think from a professional standpoint, it made a lot of sense for him to, to at least reevaluate. And I just want to throw this out there. I mean, I'm not saying it's – had anything to do with the thought process but again i come back to the salary he was making again i, I want to put this you know put this in a college football scheme not not us mere mortals out here who you know have normal jobs and things like that uh five hundred thousand dollars is obviously a lot of money but i'm saying in terms of the college football coaching landscape it's really not <laughs> with how high some of these salaries are whenever summerall comes in here and i think he's well worth what he's getting paid at kentucky which i think is I had it written down yesterday. It's over 600000 I think he's been over that ever since he got hired. So he got hired making a pretty good salary when he got here from Ole Miss. Um, but you also have Vince Mara, who, again, well worth it. He's done a lot for the branding, done a lot to get kids in here. He makes 900000 I'm just saying for clean skills impact, I think there's an argument to be made there that he was worth more than what Kentucky was paying him. And, again, I don't, I'm not saying that had anything to do with him leaving – I just think he was kind of on a bargain deal for UK for a while, and I'll be really curious to see what his final number is uh, whenever his contract details come out with Michigan. To me, this is definitely a move, Derek, like you said, that it, it kind of feels like can, it, he was maxed out at Kentucky as far as where he could go right now. And this is a move, honestly, there's questions there that you could see if Harbaugh struggles at Michigan, you could see him getting canned after this year, and then here's Clink without a job, right? But this might be that move that kind of accelerates that climb to maybe the next move after Michigan is a defensive coordinator position, and that, that that's why it does make sense. If if Summerall is indeed the guy that replaces Brad Watt at some point, then you're talking, what, another four, five, six years before Clink could be in line to maybe be a D.C. at U.K.? Yeah, I mean, that's just – no one's on a gamble it's, on it's that. It's a business. Like it's it's yeah. all a business. Like you know, these all these guys want to take their. You you want the fastest track to to be in what you want to be. I mean, everybody that's a DC, maybe a DC at some point has dreams of being a head coach. I mean, Mark Stoops at Kentucky. So you don't want to sit around and wait and pass up an opportunity that you think might propel you uh, to a better spot. Not saying that he thinks that Michigan's any better than Kentucky, but it kind of just, it comes down to what's the fit. But the, you know, the, the good news, Derek, 
that I think Kentucky fans can look at and Mark Stoops as a program can look at, you're doing something right when other schools want the guys on your staff. We've seen it with Vince Merrill. We now see it with Clink. Uh, you're in, you're swimming in the right pool when that's happening. Sure, you're going to lose people, but at the same time, that just shows you the type of guys that Mark Stoops goes after as coaches on his staff, and it's a good thing. I, I'd expect Kentucky to hire a, a quality person, but like you said, I think you put it out on Twitter earlier. Uh, it's hard to go get someone as good as Steve Klinkscale. They, they might go get someone, you know, great and good, but what he did at Kentucky was was huge. And you know, the and the crazy part about this thing is, you have a guy who went up against Michigan in recruiting, convinced some guys to come to Kentucky over Michigan, but then when it comes down to it, he he goes to Michigan. But that's that's the side of this. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's that's just part of the game, and you know, people understand that because. That's just that's just the way it is, Derek. That's just the way it works. I think Clink Scale is also a good reminder, um, and maybe this has been forgotten because of how well UK has, especially him in particular, but how well UK has performed as a program. There were real questions after 2017, you know, people asking whether or not he should be brought back because he'd been there two years at that point, and the 2017 defense was absolutely shredded through the air. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can remember writing a whole last column on basically like if Mark Stoops was going to get it done at Kentucky, then like year five, or sorry, I think that was year six for him, was going to be the year because they had all those guys coming back on defense who were part of Stoops' first big class, but they had performed just horribly uh, basically in 2017. And, uh, you know, he's a good thing to remember. Now not every assistant is going to turn out to be good no matter how much time you give them. But uh, Clink Scale really turned it around. Obviously, he had a veteran group in 2018. You have Mike Edwards and Lonnie Johnson get drafted. You have other seniors like uh, Darius West and Derek Beatty and Chris Westry. And they produced and had a great year. And then the next year, again, we said this a lot last year preseason, like those numbers are a little inflated in 2019 because of the rain, all the rain games they played and just kind of the – Really weird quarterback situation that happened in 2019. But, again, if you're looking for a narrative, like, you could say there wasn't much drop-off from year to year. But his big thing is recruiting. And, I mean, I just think in terms of what you would expect from a assistant at a program like Kentucky, you couldn't have asked for any better. Uh, I thought he was elite in that regard. And uh, I think he's a great fit for Michigan. So, props to him. I just didn't have much time today to really put up with the – you know, why Why would he go to Michigan? Like, come on, guys. I mean, Michigan. I, I know it's legitimate to say Harbaugh's in the hot seat. Like, I get it. Maybe he won't be after this year. But to ask yourself why would an assistant leave Kentucky to go coach football at Michigan, let's, let's just not do that, all right? I mean. It's like asking why would Chen Coleman yes, come exactly. to Kentucky from Illinois. I mean, in Illinois. I mean, it's still a, a prestigious team. program. And yeah. You have a good chance to – I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a huge name. To work under him, it just diversifies your resume even more. It makes a lot of sense that he would leave to, to take and that it, job. And it does make sense, too, even if he – even if Harbaugh gets fired because it could propel Clink to a D.C. DC position quicker, sooner. I mean, it just you, – you get yourself out there at another program. Let's say he goes up there and the DBs and everything does does well at Michigan, then it just looks better on him, too. Well, and think about how – when you have the connections that Plinkskill had 
and obviously he just got hired today, so we'll see how he finishes in recruiting and things like that. But if you're a new coach coming in to take over Michigan, even in the event that Harbaugh does get fired, you would want to have a guy with those kind of ties who can keep players or help yeah. players well, in the transfer portal or whatever from Michigan. Like he would bring a lot of value to whoever the head coach is and would probably stand a pretty good chance of getting retained, so, would be my guess. My question for you, what happens with UK's class right now? And those guys that Clink Scale played a significant role in landing. Do you have any concerns there as far as decommitments yeah. or anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think we got to be realistic in this. Like, Jeremiah Caldwell, the first commitment, is a Michigan kid who ended up getting offered by Michigan not too long ago. But his main tie to UK was Steve Klinkscale, who had been recruiting him since he was a freshman. I got to think if Klinkscale still wants him, then yeah, like I would think it's probably realistic that you would expect a flip to Michigan at some point. Not saying that will happen. I'm just you, trying to use some logic here. You can connect so, the dots pretty yeah. easily. Like it, yeah, I mean, that's just you how don't it have, is. Yeah, don't, nobody has to play dumb with this, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the, I do think the Wade twins are a little different. Uh, I, I actually think their mom had already gone to Twitter and said that there's nothing to worry about. But, you know, I'll take that for what it's worth. Um, while he was their primary recruiter, I think the things that were appealing to them about Kentucky are still there. Like, I don't think they were coming here because they were just super tight with Steve Klinkscale. I'm sure they were tight, but there were other guys. I mean, I know Liam Cohen for sure was involved with Destin there for a little while in terms of the quarterback uh, recruiting. And then uh, Keaton likes the whole appeal of playing outside linebacker at Kentucky. So it's not like he was going to be their position coach or anything. So I think there are real selling points to those guys to keep them there. Um, But the other angle to talk about, and I think you'll see more and more of this as time goes on, but like, I'm not speculating on who will leave or, or if they will, but there are a lot of guys in the UK roster now who are recruited by Plink Scale. So I'm not saying they're going to up and just follow him. I, I mean, because I think Kentucky does a great job when kids get on campus of kind of incorporating everybody. It's not like, I mean, I think the staff does a good job as a whole recruiting that, yes, you have your primary guy, but especially when these visits are allowed, I think kids get close to kind of the whole staff and, you know, you get close to your teammates when you're here and your position coach is there. So I'm not saying all these dudes that he recruited are just going to leave. I'm just saying if a guy, you know, turns out to be unhappy or whatever, like maybe you could see someone going to the portal. And uh, when you talk about kind of recruiting your roster and making sure guys are happy, like that's part of the reasons why you have to be. Now I don't know if there will be some kind of – I'm sure there's some kind of gentleman's code out there in, in college football that or you would hope so anyway that, you know, Steve Klinkscale is not going to actively be recruiting guys, you know, on Kentucky's roster. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but it is something to think about, though, and I think it's something to keep in mind that, you know, that could work both ways for maybe whoever UK hires. Maybe that coach has a connection to to some guys out there, and if they hit the portal, maybe it opens up more avenues. I hope that makes sense what I'm saying. Like, not that he's going to just straight up be recruiting kids yeah. from UK to Michigan. You just never know. I mean, if kids get unhappy or whatever, I just think it's something else to consider in this. But with the 22 recruiting class, he was doing a great job. Already had some of those kids committed. But outside of Caldwell, uh, I think they'll be able to at least get some other guys on them, recruiting them, and and show them a reason why they should stay committed to Kentucky. Yep. So a lot of news today, obviously, and uh, some good, some bad. It's definitely a big loss for the U.K. football program, Derek, but 
we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens with Mark Stoops and the staff and, and kind of where Kentucky goes from here. But it is definitely a big loss, and anything less, anybody say anything less than that, they're out of their mind because uh, Clink did a lot of good stuff for the program. We'll stay locked in on the basketball side as well and see exactly what John Calipari has up his sleeve. We kind of have an idea now, Derek, and I'm starting to kind of get excited thinking that maybe – the week after you get back from your honeymoon, we might be able to sit down and maybe start talking about what this roster looks like, at least yeah. 90 to 95% of it. And uh, we've kind of played this waiting game ever since the SEC tournament ended to what, you know, what would Kentucky have? We're kind of getting an idea of that. Now let me give you an idea of where to go for dinner. You should go to the Butcher's Pub. Three locations, one in Pineville, one in Williamsburg, one in London. Uh, make it out to either of those locations. You can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. As always, this episode is powered by Blue Wire Pods. Uh, he's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.